0: Words such as scotched and codded abound. The similes are colorful, but they fit the characters' rural backgrounds. That was clear as cow patties on a snowbank. You done did the milkin', might as well lap the cream. The syntax and formality in Jake's telling is true to letters written by Civil War soldiers. I believed I could not be hit, so absent had I decided myself to be. And, wondering how many of our dinner companions would share our meals no more. The horror of war is vividly rendered. This is not a book for the faint-hearted. Men kill and are killed, and the reader is spared few details. A scene where a wife's love letter is read aloud to a dying Union soldier is particularly harrowing, but amid the carnage there are moments of lyrical wonder and beauty. One of my favorites is when Jake, hiding out in a barn, observes the shafts of light spearing down through cracks and illuminating all the grainy debris in the air. It is a moment that brings to my mind another soldier. Tolstoy's Prince Andre, who, fallen on the battlefield, sees the sky as though for the first time. Beauty and wonder yet abide in the novel's world, and a belief that, even in the worst of times, we are capable of moments of grace and forgiveness. That aloneness would not be our fate. Daniel Woodrell is one of America's best writers, and Woe to Live On is one of his finest achievements. The reissue of this novel is cause for celebration. Ron Rash Book One Playing War is Played Out Charles R. Jennison of Jennison's Jayhawkers One We rode across the hillocks and vales of Missouri, hiding in uniforms of Yankee blue. Our scouts were out left flank and right flank while Pitt Mackison and me formed the point. The night had been long and arduous. The horses were lathered to the withers and dust was caking mud to our jackets. We had been aided through the night by bust-head whiskey, and our breaths blasphemed the scent of early morning spring. Blossoms had begun a cautious bloom on dogwood trees and grass broke beneath hooves to impart rich, green odor. The sneabar flowed to the west, a slight creek more than a river, but a comfort to tongue's dried gamey and horse's hard road. We were making our way down the slope to it, through a copse of hickory trees full of housewife squirrels gossiping at our passing, when we saw a wagon halted near the stream. There was a man holding a hat for his hitched team to drink from, and a woman, a girl in red flannel, and a boy who was splashing about at the water's edge, raising mud. The man's voice boomed to scold the boy for this, as he had yet to drink. The language of his bark put him in peril. Dutchman, Mackeson said, then spit. Goddamn lop-eared St. Louis Dutchman. Mackeson was American and had no use for foreigners, and only a little for me. He had eyes that were not set level in his hatchet face so that he saw you top and bottom in one glance. I watched him close when crowds of guns were banging and kept him to my front. Let us bring Black John up, I said. I turned in my saddle and raised my right hand above me, waved a circle with it, then pointed ahead. The main group was trailing us by some distance, so we had to pause while Black John brought the boys up. When they were abreast of us, the files parted and Black John took one column of blue to the right, and Coleman Younger took the other to the left. This movement caused some noise. The Dutchman was made alert by the rumble of hooves, but had no chance to escape us. We tightened our circle about the wagon, made certain the family was alone, then dismounted. The family crusted around the Dutchman, not in fear, but to introduce themselves. Our uniforms were a relief to them, for they did not look closely at our mismatched trousers and our hats that had rebel locks trailing below them. This was a common mistake, and we took pleasure in prompting it. Most of the boys couldn't be excited by a single man, so they led their mounts to the stream, renewed their friendship with whiskey, and generally tom-fooled about near the water. Black John Ambrose, Mackeson me and a few others confronted the Dutchman. He offered his hand to Black John, whose stiff height, bristly black curls, and hard-set face made his leadership plain. Wilhelm Schnellenberger, the Dutchman said. Black John.